We're told to work hard, go to uni, get good grades, get a job, get promoted, get married, get pregnant, do the right things and happiness will arrive with retirement. We're told that birth is scary and that we can't do it without the presence of a doctor between our collective knees. The problem with this is that when we lead with fear, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But what if we started to dismantle that status quo? What if we stopped letting fear stop us? What if we considered what brings us joy and how we can bring our passion to this world? That's where this podcast comes in. I'm your host, Leanne Burke, a Melbourne-based birth photographer, coffee addict, dog mum, and now occasional podcaster. This podcast is designed to share the stories of people living their lives by design in order to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Exceptionally Ordinary, where we share tales of everyday magic. I'm your host, Leanne Burke, and today I'm talking to Tina Bruce, the author of Mother's Medicine, The Birth of My Intuition. In addition to being a newly published author, Tina is a yoga teacher, retreat leader, and intuitive healer. A special thanks to Madam Heap for letting us record this in their studio. If you're not familiar, Madam Heap is a beautiful yoga, meditation and mindfulness studio in Middle Park. Let's dive right in. So this is part of the title and part of the reason why I knew that I had to do it Um, in the Netflix special. This is what she says. So here's the lesson and take it if it fits. I get so busy chasing the extraordinary moments that I don't pay attention to the ordinary moments. The moments that if taken away, I would miss more than anything. Mm. And I think that, yeah, that just really resonates with me. Like it's the everyday that is actually the most special and it doesn't have to be the holiday at the end of the long year. It doesn't have Mm. to be the the house, the husband, the next, next, next driving. Mm. So we can actually just come back to where we are right now mm. and appreciate the little things. Yeah, that's really true. And I think if you've ever um, experienced loss, like if you've ever lost someone that you love, the thing that you miss is like their muddy shoes at the front door yeah. or the way that they don't clean the bench, all the things that annoy you. Yes. other things that become so um, potent and yeah they're the things the extraordinary things that you miss yeah, yeah that's so true mm. I have a lolly jar for my pa <laughs> that when I, we used to go to their house when we were kids they would always have the lolly jar and like I wasn't allowed to have lollies with mum and dad so yeah. when you go to Paranani K's like there's a lolly yeah. jar and it was so exciting and um yeah, just that lolly jar and seeing it every yeah. day is like really quite potent. And yeah, it's something so simple, but it's always so the important. simple things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, smart. So when, like, when you think about your everyday life now, what would you say are the ordinary moments? Um, well, most of my life is ordinary. <laughs> I feel like it's very. I've stripped it back a lot, so my life now really simple yeah um down to the shoes i wear (laughs) being flat comfortable shoes to the food i eat 
um, just the way that I go about my day. I have lots of space in my day now, whereas before I think I was trying to create an extraordinary life by packing a lot in and thinking that was really extraordinary, like to be so busy and to have um, lots of appointments in my diary and yeah. all of these social engagements. I thought that's what extraordinary people do. They're really busy and they're social and they're out there. And as I was going along trying to live that life and squeeze myself into that life, I realised that that's not me at all. And I much prefer the very slow, ordinary, yeah. simple pleasures of life. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're packed out with like doing so many things, running from one thing to the next, you actually don't really appreciate any of it. When I say mm. you, I say I never did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're eating the meal, but you're already thinking about what you're going to be doing next. And it's yeah. hard to enjoy the things. And even though you're creating this list of like, yeah, I did all these mm. things, you don't actually feel like you were really there for any of them. No. That was how I was anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the whole the whole thing about slowing down is so you can appreciate what is ordinary, which is life. Like yeah. life is meant to be ordinary. Yeah. Even though we're all um, unique and we have extraordinary gifts and, and, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all just really ordinary animals <laughs> walking around, <laughs> yes. living a life, um, you know, and what makes us extraordinary is when we can actually express our creative um, uniqueness. And it's that injection of extraordinary into an ordinary life. Yeah. That makes it, um, that makes you feel like meaningful and like there is purpose to life. Yeah. It's mm. nourishing, isn't it? Like that um, mm. from a soul perspective. Like your soul feels nourished when you go slowly. So, yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, one of the things that I want to ask you about, what are you currently reading or have recently read that you enjoyed? And it doesn't have to be a whole book or anything. It just be like a blog post or an article or was there anything mm. recently that resonated? I've got so many books on my nightstand. <laughs> I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm a, being a book slut at the moment. I'm sleeping around <laughs> like 10 books at the same time and I'm not finishing them because I just take bits out of them. Um, yeah, it's hard. And I go back and reread books. Yes. So what I find is I have the biggest self-help collection you've ever seen. Like it's huge. Um, and I'm really proud of it. I think I used to hide it for a long time thinking, oh, I'll just put them up in my bedroom where no one can see them. But actually, no, it's, um, it's funny because I go back and reread, like for example, at the moment, I'm rereading um, Caroline Mace's book, Anatomy of the Spirit. And that is like a Bible to me. And I've read it about four times, but every time I read it, I get all these new insights and I'm like, oh my God, that's what that means. And it's also spot on and, um, and amazing how books can do that. Like they're just words on a page, but every time you go back and you've grown as a person, so therefore the words have different meaning yeah. and you've evolved. Your consciousness is at a higher level and it means something completely different or you've basically had 
an experience where you can relate to what's been written in the book. Yeah. So um, I'm rereading that one at the moment. And I just bought The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck or that, yeah. Yeah. that book. Mark Manson, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's his, yeah, his second one about there's no hope or something. Or life is fucked. <laughs> it's a really, it's a depressing really depressing title. title. But actually, when you open it up, it is filled with hope. So, okay. <laughs> um, I bought, yeah, I bought that one. So that's on my, um, on my next list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love what you're saying about um, rereading books. I have a Kindle, and I love it for the reason that you can see not only your highlights if you revisit a book but you can see what other people mm. have highlighted so like i've been reading the alchemist and i'm not highlighting the same thing as everybody else and i'm like am i missing oh. something in that passage because fifteen thousand people have highlighted that passage but i've highlighted right. the one below it or you know i didn't know that so you basically can get inside people's heads yes, and see really, what's important to it's them it's really interesting Wow. And so I also wonder whether, you know, will I revisit mm. this book and those things that other people have highlighted will make more sense? Yeah. I don't know. We'll wait and see. Yeah. But yeah, there is um, such magic in knowing that the book didn't change, but that you did. Mm. Do you think? Like, yeah. Yeah. I've changed. Yeah. We change all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so good. Yeah. And I have... Um, the other book which I read recently, yeah, it was another old classic. I think it was The Prophet or... Oh, yeah. That's on my reading list. Yeah. Um, yeah, and again, it was, I've, I've had it for 20 years, but you pick it up at the right time and I honestly believe that books fall off the shelf for you when you need to read them. Yeah. Yeah. Quite literally sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I had a really, um, I don't know whether I'll include this for the podcast for other people to know, um, but I had a really strange experience where like I was being called to go to the bookstore in Williamstown. There's like this little hippie bookstore that's like kind of right out the back. So at the front, yeah. it kind of seems like um, just a knickknack shop, but there's this amazing bookstore right at the back. And so I was called to go to the bookstore this day and like, intuition was saying like go to the right and I was like oh no it's really busy like maybe I'll go to the left and then as kind of people moved and I'm going through the books I'm like oh maybe I want to read this oh maybe I want to read this you know and the voice was like keep going keep going that's not the one put that book back <laughs> keep yeah. walking so I go around the corner like to the right side um and this book is like bright pink and it's like that that's the one that's the book I'm like, I've never seen this book before mm. and I pick it up and I'm like, I just get this rush of energy. Like, this is the book. This is what you came here to get. Mm. And then, of course, like little Leanne, it's like, you just made that up. That's so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Put the book back. You don't need it. Um, maybe it was the music that made you feel that way. Like there was a change in the song or something. And so I'm like, I, like, I go to put the book back and I get this other like wave of energy of like, buy the book. <laughs> and so I did. And it was like Good. this incredible book. And it just feels like it was written for me, even though it was written 
know, 15, 20 years ago. And it yeah. is just, um, it's really amazing how you can get these mm. little hints if you are yeah. brave and can listen to it. <laughs> you know. So I can share an experience that happened to me last week in the bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> while we're on the topic of books, I was in the, um, in the local bookstore signing copies of my book. Awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> and, um, and while I was doing that, I went to put them back on the shelf. And I was looking at the shelf, and it was about a metre in front of me. And out of the corner of my eye, I caught like the view of a man. And I looked to my left, and it happened to be my obstetrician. And um, so for people who don't know what that means, it's basically because the birth story of my life is inside my book it was very poignant that he happened to be standing there because he was involved in in my story and there was no way out of this situation this confrontation i i had to look over and say hi and um and he's he said hi he was surprised to see me hi hi we had a bit of small chat what are you doing here blah 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 and anyway so um he's standing right next to me my book is right in front of us on the shelf. He hasn't seen it yet. And he says, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I was just, um, I was just here signing some copies of my book. And he was like, oh, you've written a book. And then he looked in front of him on the shelf and there was my face on the front cover of the book. And he goes, oh, well, look what we have here. And he stretched out his hand and the book fell into his hand because I believe it's the book he needs to read. Yeah. And he picked it up and, and he's like, so what's it about? And I said, <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of about you, but it's not really about you. And I was starting to dribble a little bit of like nervous talk because I knew this confrontation was always going to happen. Yeah. And I'm so pleased that it happened in a natural way. And I just said, look, it's a story about um, my birth, but you know, with the girls and how it was traumatic and, and how that led to a cascade of events that um, caused me a lot of suffering and then how I, yoga and other things helped, you know, rip my recovery and transform my life out of that experience. But um, I said to him, oh, do you remember at the six week checkup um, with Layla that I asked you, is there anyone I can talk to about my experience with my birth? Because I just feel like I want to speak to another woman who's been through something similar. Like that was my natural instinct was telling me I needed to debrief the, the trauma. Yeah. And his response was, um, no, no one's been through what you've been through. And that was that. And I so I actually said that to him in the bookstore. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, Tina, what are you doing? But these were the words I think he needed to hear. And he just nodded and he was silent and he was just taking it in and he said, I want to read it and perhaps I'll put one in my surgery, in my waiting room. And I was thinking, you should read it first <laughs> before you do that, before you, you know, yeah. share it with your patients. But I really think that the, the medical system in the traditional sense um, needs to hear the patient stories. And I think that obstetricians in particular should hear about trauma that their patients experience because in the end, it's going to make him a better doctor. If he yeah. 
and that's really why I'm, I'm trying to raise awareness about this is so that our health system can put things in place that will support women emotionally and spiritually as well as in their physical recovery from birth. Um, yeah, so I walked out of the bookstore and I thought initially I was going to say, oh, I'll give you a copy. And then I thought, no, hell no, you can buy a copy. You've got stacks of money. And so, yeah, I left him um, just with the words, oh, I hope you enjoy it. And that was it. Wow. So um, I think that was the book that, yeah, fell into his hands that day that he obviously needs to read. And That's yeah. so interesting. I feel like it would be amazing to hear his thoughts after reading the book. Yeah. And I think, um, I think you know, the tricky part is, is that nobody sets out to ruin someone's day or to inflict trauma. Like, mm. he just didn't realise how pivotal that moment was for you of like, I just need to debrief with someone who has experienced something similar. Yeah. And him just not even really acknowledging it by the sounds of it. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just the awareness yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and I 100% believe that, you know, all doctors and health professionals want the best for their patients yeah. and they all have good intentions, um, but we can all do things to improve yeah. um, and really look at people um, not just as in physical healing but also emotionally and spiritually as well and how important that is yeah um, to look at holistically somebody's health a human being as not just a body but it's with all these other elements as well yeah it's really funny i feel mm. like when we think about ancient cultures they had that knowledge they mm. knew that people were treated as yeah. mind body spirit so what on earth went wrong that we found yeah. ourselves here where it's like, no, we can't see that so it doesn't exist. <laughs> like, it's yeah. really quite bizarre. Well, it was the age of reason, really, um, that came in, you know, a couple of hundred years ago where evidence-based and scientific data and all of the things that we had to be able to prove um, became more important than what we can't prove. Yeah. Um, so the logic and the control, control trials, randomised yeah. control trials, um, the reasoning, everything needed a, a, a very certain explanation. And um, when it comes to consciousness and the quantum field, and mm -hmm. it's a growing body of science, which is getting stronger, but it's certainly much harder to prove um, physically yeah yeah and I think that sometimes science needs to be reminded that it's their job to have an open mind science is about testing mm. things and finding out and not saying like oh no there's no study for that so it's not real it's like yeah but we need to have the study to decide whether or not it's real I yeah. think so often it is quite easy to look at science in opposition to consciousness spirituality rather than actually they're really quite intertwined mm. yeah yeah that's that's what i think anyway yeah um in moments of doubt or resistance do you have any rituals that bring you comfort so many <laughs> um 
when I'm in doubt or resistance, I'm in fear. Yeah. So I have lots of tools now to move me out of fear and back to love. Um, it's a spectrum, I think. Yeah. I think we all fall on the spectrum and during the day, depending on how you've woken up, what's the quality of your sleep, what's, what's time in your cycle is it, all those sorts of things determines um, the doubt and resistance that's going to come up. Um, so I meditate every day and that's, you know, might be a boring answer, but for me <laughs> it's like one. brushing my teeth. <laughs> yes. I have to have the stillness and the silence. Um, and in doing that, I just block out all external noise. Um, and everything comes back to connecting with the heart centre. So whenever I'm in doubt or resistance, I feel like I've disconnected from the heart. And the heart is really the, the power zone of, of your intuition because it's got the strongest electromagnetic field. So it's, you know, it's the part that we um, return to when we need to experience that connection and, and the love. So meditation is, you know, a no brainer for me. Um, I also obviously do yoga because I'm a yoga teacher, <laughs> but uh, what, has recently become more powerful for me is prayer and not just setting an intention like we do at the start of a yoga class but actually actively engaging with prayer through um, forming a, like a relationship or a dialogue with my intuition um, so I will after meditation which for me is like active listening I'll then engage in prayer which is more me speaking to my intuition. So, for example, um, what do I need to know today? Or um, just maybe saying, give me the courage today to be of service <laughs> somehow. Yes. Or, you know, let me, um, how can I demonstrate, how can I demonstrate my true authentic self today without getting um, filled with self-doubt or it might just be something like here you take it I don't know what to do <laughs> yes. this is too big this for is me for you. like <laughs> this is sparked yeah. I don't want to do this you have it and yeah. I'll hand it over and and that's really powerful because that's surrender so yes. I think um, surrendering control and just handing it over to your intuition God whatever you call it is is really powerful because as soon as you do that like really amazing shit starts to happen yeah. <laughs> everyone has experienced that the yeah. moment you go oh I've had enough I can't I can't my human self can't do this anymore I actually I'm becoming more and more depleted exhausted mm -hmm. and then you release that and then you open yourself up to synchronicity and yeah, yeah. it's really and yeah, so how long would that practice last, the meditation and then the prayer? Like, do you have, kind mm. of have a standard, like, do you do it at the same time every day? Does it go for the same amount yeah. of time? Or you just kind of go with the flow a little bit as to what you feel like you need that day? I would say everything's probably an hour okay. a day. Yeah. Um, and then I, I usually like to end the day with a, a bath. I love I'm a water yeah. baby. Maybe yeah, it's because so. I'm an Aquarian. I don't know. <laughs> but um, getting into a bath as well, that's definitely a good ritual. Yeah. Not everyone likes it. I was speaking to a friend the other day. She's like, oh, I hate baths. 
I'm, I much prefer a quick shower. But like, <laughs> no. <laughs> again, again, I'm like, yeah, maybe it's just the ordinary slowness <laughs> yeah. of my day. I mean, think though, if you are in quite an anxious place, a bath would be uncomfortable. Like, you're just laying there doing nothing. And if your thoughts are going yeah. wild and annoying you, it's not going to feel as relaxing as it does to like, you know, if it is more of a meditation of like just soaking mm. in the warmth and the candlelight and the smell of the bubbles or whatever it is. Yeah. I also quite like, and I suggest to people who are stressed out and like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. Like mm. if you don't have time to run a bath, like just have a warm shower, but turn out the lights and light some candles. And like, mm. it just ha- is a completely different experience yeah when it's like i don't know it's more romantic or something just and just you, it mood. can be fast yeah it's like Simple. just create some yeah ambiance for yourself and take <laughs> five minutes and it's kind of the same as a cup of tea of like that yeah just like warmth nourishment yeah yeah it could have something to do with um us like when we light a candle as well it's, it's another natural element so I often think that what relaxes us is, you know, water, earth, air, fire, the four elements and bringing fire into water. um, I had never thought about that. Maybe it's another part of ourselves because we're made up of those elements that we feel more natural and... Yeah. yeah. I love that. (laughs) I really never thought of it like that. (laughs) We need to bring some earth into our shower, (laughs) some dirt in the corner. A little bit of sand. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe the music can be earth. I don't know. I guess it depends on what we're listening to. Um, Mm. I might just flick through your book. Mm. At first, I didn't want to highlight in it, so I was just putting cards, and then eventually I gave up and was like, no, I just want to highlight everything. Yeah, um, I know, I've done that. And then I ended up, like, writing in black. I love that. Pen and, yeah. It's your book. I know. It's turned into, a, like, a, a sacred text, I yes. think. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Um... So one of the things that I highlighted, to heal this and get out of survival mode, we need to turn towards our intuition and away from the myth of the superwoman. We were fed a lie. We cannot have it all, but we can intuit it all. I love that. That like, I got goosebumps on the back of my neck when I read that because Mm. it really felt so true. Yeah, like this, you can have it all. Feels yeah. like that striving energy of like yeah. you need to do it, you need to like Brene says, hustle for that worthiness. Yeah, and it's something outside of you, and therefore can never fill you. Versus that intuition that comes from within, mm. and is always there, always. Yeah, yeah, and it's also a good demonstration of um, balancing the masculine energy with the feminine energy and the whole idea of being superwoman and super mom and super this and super yeah. that. It's yes. like, can we just be not super and just yeah. ordinary? <laughs> yes. I love being ordinary. And then we allow the feminine energy to come and balance all of that doing with yeah. 
you know, our intuition. Yeah. Mm. And the doing that comes from intuition has so much more of its own momentum. You don't feel like yeah. you have to push as hard and to sustain it. It feels like it's of itself. It's like organic yeah. almost. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things I wanted to bring up in the book, you kind of quite early on talk about being denied pain relief or feeling like you were shamed for pain relief. And mm. then when asked about whether Layla had had any pain relief, they looked at her directly mm. and said, you know, you can ask for pain relief. <laughs> that was really hard to read. Like, did you, mm. what did that mean for you in that moment? Did it piss you off that well, it you was were being <laughs> guilt? Um, you feel mummy guilt, I suppose. And when a health professional is asking your child in front of you, you know you can ask for pain relief. It, it's almost suggesting that I'm denying it or <laughs> holding it back yeah. as if I'd want to see my child suffer. And um, yeah, I felt like um, I felt really crap actually after yeah. that. And I think it's all in the language that people use and the way that um, that as mothers we absorb firstly our children's pain. We feel everything that they feel. Um, but also the last thing we want is to see them suffer. Like yeah. that's, that's why, um, you know, you do everything you can to, to avoid that. Yeah. So that, that made, or reading that made me really angry for you because I just mm. felt like like why was your inner child not treated that same way like Tina mm. you cannot ask for pain relief like you can have this whereas like this early in the book it was like this kind of oh, I don't know whether I'm allowed to have this are they going to withhold the pain relief from me you know you kind of had this um horrible horrible inner dialogue around mm. whether or not you were going to be worthy yeah. of feeling safe for yeah. want of a better word and then to be shamed for mm. you know, i don't know i just felt like that was so powerful and so yeah. uh yeah really um just felt really unfair <laughs> yeah yeah uh certainly um the thing about being in pain and my fear, it came from the trauma, the traumatic experience of feeling unsafe. And so when you feel unsafe, you try to control everything around you. Mm. So your environment and, and no, I didn't trust anyone in the room, not, not one staff member, not even my husband. Like yeah. I didn't trust anyone. I felt like the whole environment was hostile. And the only way I could survive was to try and control everything that was going on myself and manage myself, which meant self-medicating yeah. and managing my own health. Because I thought, well, no one else is going to do this for me. I'm in, I need to survive. Like, I, it's yeah. just up to me. It was just a sense of I'm alone and 
I have to do everything it takes to survive and to keep my baby alive because mm. no one else is going to support me. So that's a very, obviously a very dangerous thinking pattern, but you know, PTSD does that to people yes. as well. Yeah. And um, there was one particular incident, which is in the book, that I remember so clearly after about day three um, of having the baby that I noticed um, the clipboard at the end of the bed mm. and the staff weren't filling in the notes and I decided that that was really poor <laughs> and so I thought well I'm just going to manage myself so I picked up the clipboard and started filling in all the data about what time the feeds were and what my you know down to what my blood pressure was how many milliliters of colostrum I was expressing I was writing it all down and I was becoming vigilant about it and like I was becoming my own nurse mm. and even my husband said what are you doing put the clipboard down and I said I can't no one else is doing it no one yeah. else is taking care of me and that's honestly how I felt yeah and even at one point I said to him can you just go and take the baby down to the nursery and I sat in bed with the clipboard filling out the clipboard and the data and holding it like it was a baby. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one picked up on that, um, yeah. which is pretty messed up, but that was me in desperation. Yes. Trying to feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then somehow making it out of the hospital with the baby and leaving the clipboard behind, I had to like say, I had to say my goodbyes to the clipboard. But you probably got home and found something else to control oh, yeah. if you weren't feeling safe. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, I actually love the bit that you talked about kind of the controlling eating uh, as you were really young and then going to Nan's house and how she kind of helped you overcome that by creating this really safe space mm. full of love that meant that that fixation on the control of the food kind of yeah. just fell away yeah. like that is really you're so right That's powerful exactly and i think though we just need to find more situations like that for ourselves. like find mm. that unconditional love rather than trying to control mm. What do you, how do you feel, or I mean, we don't have to talk about this if it's mm. too much, but how do you feel talking about your relationship with Ollie and like how that has mm. like been over this period of time? Because he is mentioned in the book. Yeah. But I feel like I wonder what that was like for him. And particularly mm. you talking about feeling like your spirit wasn't in your body and having yeah. to call it back. And so what was that like? for him yeah. being married to you? Well, I'm lucky that he's like my rock. So yeah. <laughs> um, if we were both um, <laughs> if we were both in, in the airwaves all the time, we wouldn't get anything done. So we, you know, compliment each other and that he's very grounded. Yeah. And, um, and likewise, I can often, you know, pull him out of couch mode or whatever it yeah. is to, you know, get him up and, and moving. Um, but for him to witness it all, I think he always, when it came to the addiction, is that, yeah, mainly what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah. Um, but the addiction was born out of this, yeah. you know, it's all kind of all intertwined, isn't it? Yeah. I think, um, you know, he was just, he's just been always the one that's trying to 
keep be the solid rock in the family, um, I suppose. And I did such a good job at hiding everything from him. So um, he knew, he didn't know the extent yeah. of my pain or the trauma or the addiction. Um, and it wasn't until I had the first encounter with a GP who I found who was like my lifesaver. Um, and she said to me on the phone, I will see you but you need to bring your husband with you. Mm. And I was like, holy fuck, I have to tell him <laughs> everything. And she knew what she was doing yeah. because it was about, well, firstly, ensuring that my mental health was safe um, because I was in a very desperate situation um, that someone knew that was close to me and also that it, um, support is so important. So the moment I told him everything and said, look, I basically think I need to go to rehab on Monday and that can be, you know, in the traditional rehab facilities. It's like mm -hmm. a month away yeah. from your family with no contact. I didn't want to do that, but I had, I didn't know what the other option was. And um, I said, but if we go together to see this doctor, maybe she has a solution. And I told him everything and he, he didn't judge me. He just, he just said, okay. That's amazing. And yeah, it was just really, he's just always been there and held me through it, I suppose. And um, I never felt judged or like, you know, I guess belittled or like I wasn't good enough or, cause there's so much shame. But as soon as I shared, shared it, the shame just kind of started to lift and the sick because it couldn't survive in secrecy anymore so by sharing that with him and journeying together um, it brought us closer together uh, which has been really nice yeah 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 but that is pretty amazing I loved um, when you talked about the diva and how she likes to hang out in the dark. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, um, it just my felt, diva, my addict diva. Yeah, it just felt really relatable. Like, this is how she wants me to behave. Don't tell anyone the shame, the secrecy, the mm. hiding. Um, yeah, it's a bit like our alter ego. Yeah. Everyone's got, her name's Vivian, yeah. my diva. Yeah, yeah. Mean old Vivian. Yeah. <laughs> She's a tart. She wears really tight clothes and yeah, Vivian, that diva. And the thing is, the divas, like we all have an inner diva yes. that never goes away, but it's like, okay, you can't be in control anymore. Yeah. So that addict voice in you is, is just reduced to a whisper and your authentic intuitive voice becomes primary and becomes the thing that has authority, not the diva. Yeah, and it sounds like that telling Ollie was like a really pivotal moment. You're going to that appointment with him was kind yeah. of like a big beginning really in your recovery. Yeah. I love how you also talk about how you're the normal people <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> and probably everyone else in here thinks that they're the normal people too. It's really funny that we have this stereotype of what, like what an addict or what, uh, whatever the mm. stereotypes are for eating disorders and so many other, um, what's the word? 
ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we think that it has yeah. to look a particular way and that it really, it doesn't. Not at all. No. Um, yeah, it was quite confronting walking into a, a waiting room filled with people who had their own mental health problems and addiction. Um, and the only difference between it on the outside is how we were dressed, really. Mm. Um, you know, my husband was wearing his suit and I was probably just, you know, in jeans and normal clothes, yeah. but a lot of the people, other people were on the outside looked probably more unkept or yeah. less polished you know and the clothing that they wore and things like that and it's all just it's all just perception because yes. on the inside we're all exactly the same yeah. animals like we're all just humans yeah. trying to survive trying to push <laughs> our inner Vivian into the corner <laughs> trying to put Vivian in her place yes. and everyone's the light. sitting in there with their with their divas and yeah yeah and, and it's humbling because I have changed a lot the, the addiction if anything it's given me this huge sense of compassion that I've never had before and I now when I drive down Grey Street in St Kilda and I see yeah. addicts and prostitutes and my heart just goes out to them and I just want to I just want to get my arms and stretch them out and scoop up all of the people who are addicted to heroin and opiates and I'm like, I know, I get you. Yeah. There's some trauma that never healed within yeah. these people and I have no judgment. Yeah. And it's quite liberating. I feel free because of that because I've realised that everyone is equal. Yes. You know? And I think that when you are lacking compassion for other people, mm. it's often also the case that you're lacking compassion for yourself. Mm. And that's that same kind of judgy energy of like wanting to control how everything is and how things are perceived by the outside world. Yeah. We're all really just, you know, the same. Ordinary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. I love that. All right, I think we might wrap that there. Okay. Unless there's anything else that you want to add? It's just been really nice chatting and having a cuppa. Yeah, it's been great. I love what you're doing and you have that interest in people's stories, which is yeah. um, really curious and that's, that's cool. Well, I think the book is really incredibly brave. It must mm. have been... You know, obviously it was quite a journey for you to process all of this stuff before even getting to the stage of writing it. But I think that putting it out there for others to see mm. is going... You, this book will be the other mother that, yeah. you can, that others can refer to. Uh, I hope people can all benefit from me being ugly honest. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Definitely. I've... I've I'm very well processed though, like I've done so much work yeah. in the last few years on myself and even my library of self-help books collection is sort of evident of that as well. So I've, yeah, I feel really, I'm really ready to share it and I'm yeah. ready to talk about it and be of service, I suppose. And 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh. Thank you, honey. And also, my middle name's Leanne. <gasps> it is not. Yes. I never knew that. <laughs> I know. I just remembered that. <laughs> I feel like that's really important, and especially because of the names in the book. It's not, yeah, I didn't put Leanne, my that's middle name. amazing. Thank you so much for listening. Your support really means the world to me. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share with a friend and subscribe to my email list where you'll receive new podcast episodes, blog posts, and the very best of my images, including some that I don't share to Instagram. A quick update on me. It's not too late. I have limited availability for births in 2019. So if you're pregnant and interested in discussing birth photography, then now is the time to get in touch. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a wonderful day.